like most people do right now, some social interaction, even if it's through the video. <laughs> yes, I know, right? We'll take what we can get. I've been yeah. saying all day, imagine going through this COVID-19 lockdown without internet and things like podcasts and stuff to get us through. Like, I know. don't even want to go there. Yeah. So let's start with, tell me, your a little bit about your backstory and how you got to be the Nadine that we see in here today. And the reason that I asked, so I want to give the listeners a little background. So the reason that I asked Nadine to be on today is we have established that you don't lookers, quote unquote, are usually 49 to 69. And they're a group of older people that are healthy, fit, it's a way of life for them. And when you see those people, it's a sum total of healthier choices they've made more times than not over time. But one of the goals of the podcast that I would like to see it do is to get people before that age group set up so that when they are at that age group, they can be thriving and healthy instead of just surviving. So that's why I had asked Nadine on. We're both in a coaching group with Kathy Heller. Shout out to Kathy Heller because we wouldn't be here without her. Um, and Nadine and I had very similar backgrounds. So she's younger than the 49 age group and Nadine, I'll let you tell that. But that's why y'all, I wanted her to come on because I think she's just a great example of someone who's heading toward the you don't lookers age and mm -hmm. she's setting herself up to just feel awesome and be great when she's in there. So Nadine, on that note, I will turn it over to you. Sure, yeah. So a little bit of background about me. I am an author, a writing coach, and a writing professor, but all of my writing coaching revolves around both writing and wellness. So on the retreats that I lead, we don't just do writing, we do meditation. We have food cooked by my husband, who's a chef, who does paleo-style gluten-free, dairy-free meals, local, organic. Um, we do yoga, we take walks. My mom, who has been at various times of her life a personal trainer, aerobics instructor, and massage therapist, wow. does massage therapy. My sister, who's an aerobics instructor, leads group fitness during the retreat. So we really are a fitness family. Mm -hmm. So that just gives you a little bit of background about what I do and how this all ties in. Um, but individually, I'm 36 years old. I'll be 37 in a couple of months but I come from as I mentioned before a very wellness centered family uh, when I was younger I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a blue-collar neighborhood uh, my mom worked at a bank and um, she just decided to switch careers when I was a teenager and she became an aerobics instructor and personal trainer and then later a massage therapist. So she was really the one who got our family on the track to incorporate physical fitness into our lives. And my sister became a soccer player, went all the way through college, I was on track, things like that. So we were a very physically active family. Our vacations were not the sit and rest vacations. <laughs> I don't even really know what that's like completely. Um, but so we were always an active family. And nowadays, um, my husband, when I met him 14 years ago, he instilled the kind of other side balance where he really 
feels that it's important to sit, enjoy your meal, be present with the people around you, um, be there, be mindful. And so it's a really good balance because me, I could go, go, go until I drop. Right. He is much more, let's relax, let's calm down. And so it creates a really good balance in our house. It sounds like it. I mean, so that's, wow, that's just so many great things to weave in there because writing in and of itself is a wellness tool, right? A lot of times we talk about journaling we talk, or even just reading, right? If you think, oh gosh, you know, I, I can't write, I'm not very good with grammar and I don't have the time, I have ADHD. Even just reading can lead to writing, can lead people to be like, you know what, I like books and journal is a book, therefore I will journal. Um, and so that's a great tool in the health arsenal. So yeah. are there and any things that you started to do like back in your soccer playing days or back when your mom was just a personal trainer that you still do today? Yeah, so there are a few different things that go along with this wellness journey. One, <clears throat> when I was younger, I was a really, really shy kid, like painfully shy. And so I always read books. And what I didn't realize at the time is that reading was my form of meditation. So whenever I read, I was sitting, I was breathing, I was relaxed, my nervous system was not on fire, freaking out. Um, so I, when I started meditating in my adult years, I went, wait a minute, I know this feeling, this is the feeling I get when I read. So reading was one, when I was a teenager, very angsty. <laughs> hated the world, right? My mom bought me a diary and said, write, just please write. <laughs> and that was my way of releasing anger on the page. And so the reading and writing, which you wouldn't typically think of in terms of the wellness factor, people usually think about food and nutrition or um, food and exercise rather, but they often don't think about the mind emotional connection and so those practices definitely were instilled in us and also uh, just uh, it was a series everything is a series of small choices i've realized over time that it's not the the fad diet that people go on or it's not the trendy exercise program. It's the small daily choices that become habits that really make for a long-term sustainability. So how you eat, how you move, how you are present on a daily basis are the things that over time just become not even choices you have to make. They just become part of your lifestyle. Right. So I heard you mention that your husband does paleo, gluten-free, really organic kind of healthy stuff and kind of just going a little bit of a segue here. Was he always into that type of cooking or like with you and his journey, did he kind of evolve that way? Yeah, so he, he wasn't. So he was trained at Johnson & Wales as a chef and uh, was a chef for many years before we met and then um, had transitioned into uh, an office job by the time that we met. But um, I grew up, even though I was in a fitness family, it was kind of during that late 80s, early 90s, like everything sugar-free phase where there was a lot of equal. A lot of, and so it wasn't necessarily nutritionally dense 
Um, and so what happened over time is when I was in my late 20s and we started trying for a family and I was really looking closely at my hormones. Um, I had pretty severe acne. At one point, my thyroid levels were off. And so I started reading a lot of books about nutrition and I had been health conscious, but more in terms of like calorie, which um, now I have a, a more holistic approach, but reading the books made me go, oh, it's not just about the number count of the food I'm putting into my body. It's about how nutritionally dense it is. So my husband had the cooking skills I was reading the books about nutritionally dense meals that were healthy and anti-inflammatory. And so I said, you know, I, I do think I have an issue with dairy. I, I knew I did. I always had stomach aches. Yeah. <laughs> and so I said, I'm going to try cutting that out. Can you, when you cook, can you not use butter things like that? So it was a slow change. Mm -hmm. And then same with gluten. And, and so we just started morphing some of the existing recipes that we had and going from more nutritionally dense anti-inflammatory approach and so now he he prides himself on the fact that he can make anything <laughs> gluten-free dairy-free low in sugar but it, again about the the food that will feed your body in a healthy way but be satisfying yeah totally agree I found that on my own journey so similar to you at one point my thyroid just wasn't working and I didn't know that was the issue I had gone on a journey where I already was cutting out like dairy, um, cut way back on cheese. Um, the gluten wasn't really an issue for me. I, I always liked bread, but it wasn't something I had to have. Right. Like, sure, living in New York where they eat on bagels and pizza. <laughs> so I would get a lot of like, you're going to what? You're going to skip the free bagels? Yes, I'm going to. Um, yeah. But like you, I went on the journey of, okay, it's the quality of the food. It's not just that it's the calories or that. Um, I'm trying to think of one of the things that I would eat that I used to, oh, so I used to eat a lot of rice, thinking that that was really healthy, it was gluten-free, but what I didn't know for me at the time was that I couldn't do grains, because mm -hmm. the thyroid and the autoimmune causing inflammation, and yeah. so once I started to, like, cut that out, and I was almost like, wow, this is like my last bastion of carbs, how can I possibly cut this out? But for me, it just added, it just was another layer of, all right, you feel better when you don't have this, so there's your sign, like, listen to your body and you know, healthier fats. Like you, I was a lot, in my younger years, like calorie, calorie. And I mm. have to tell you, like, at this point in my life, I'm the fittest I've ever been, and I eat a lot. Same, <laughs> same. Olive oil and avocado, and people look at me and be like, you're gonna cook with duck fat? And I'm like, oh yeah, I need this. Like, I've been working really hard. And in my younger years, I would have just, you know, put the brakes on and be like, oh, let's have some light olive oil. I can't even yeah. think right now, but, yeah, so it's interesting to hear that we have different, you know, age groups. Um, and for those of you that don't know, so you heard Nadine talk about Johnson and Wales. I grew up in New England, so it's really similar to these lives, these parallel lives that we've led. Um, yeah. And then, so I also heard you talk about uh, just before we popped on with the recording that you do classes online. So is it just the um, writing classes that you do online, or is it your? You said you do retreats online, correct? 
Yeah, so uh, I do both in-person and online for many things. So um, the retreats in the past have been primarily in-person, so day-long and then um, multi-day retreats. Okay. Um, I have one coming up in July, fingers crossed, uh, in Chicago, a writing and wellness three-day retreat. But because of what's happened recently, um, I am definitely um, going to develop a curriculum for an online, you know, couple hour retreat for people. But what I've been doing in the meantime until that is developed, hopefully soon, is, um, you know, I went on Instagram Live the other day to share just journaling wellness, how a, a five minute journaling exercise can help you calm down. And even journaling sounds fancy. Really, all you need is a piece of paper and a pen. I want I want to make sure everyone knows it's accessible to everyone, even people who don't consider themselves writers or journalers. So I've been sharing some of the tips and techniques that I would typically do in a workshop uh, or a retreat. I, I shared them on Instagram and I made the commitment just today. I posted, I'll be going on oh, yeah, great. live every day at two, you at two. Yeah, just as a means of, okay, if we can't have an in-person sacred retreat space, then how can people access that online? Um, but then in addition, I, as a writing coach, I have been working online over Zoom and Skype for years now, um, helping primarily women memoirists who want to tell their stories. I help them from idea all the way through publication, either with essays they want to publish in big magazines or books they want to publish um, through publishing houses. So I've been doing that work online for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And I love what you said about you want people to know that journaling doesn't mean in a fancy journal and that you're no. anyway. That it's no. a piece of paper, it's accessible for everyone because I think people are not on each end, right? If I say journaling, I'm not aware that the person on the other end will go, I don't I don't own a journal, I'm not a writer. Yeah. When it's right. really it's it's journaling as a verb, meaning the basic pen and paper, just write stream of consciousness. So I like that clarification. Um, yeah. Um, yesterday when I did the online thing on Instagram, um, my sister is a social worker and, and as I said, an exercise instructor. She's very into wellness of all sorts, but she made her boyfriend, they're both 30, she made her boyfriend come on the, the Instagram live and she's like, just listen. And they were in different parts of their apartment. So she didn't know if he was actually following along and journaling. And um, But apparently he did. He grabbed a piece of paper and a pen and later that night at the dinner table he was talking about how helpful it was and this is a person who I mean would never consider himself a journaler probably hasn't like written reflected like that maybe ever um, but the whole point of that live was to show if you have a piece of paper and a pen or even five minutes to just sit and think you can do a reflection yeah awesome that's so helpful yeah so yeah. another question I wanted to ask you to get in an area to get in with you is we talked about things that you did when you were younger that you still do. So what about things that you do now that you've recently added to your daily routine or overall, you know, something maybe you do once a month, once a quarter that you're yeah. helping you, is helping you? Yeah, yeah. So 
an odd, funny thing that uh, has been a game changer is because I do so much work as a writer, I'm typing, I'm at a computer a lot. And then when I'm coaching or leading online classes, I'm on a computer. So it could be a lot of sitting time. So the first transition was from sitting desk to standing desk, right? Um, and I got my desk uh, relatively affordably from Ikea. It's just like a crank. It literally has a I'm on one right now. Yes, yes. Okay, so I got the crank desk from yes. Ikea. Um, that was a big change. And so, um, and even my office at my university, I, I didn't have a standing desk. And so literally everybody left. I just took basically like a milk crate mm -hmm. and then I put a board on top of it. I mean, my students come in and they're like, <laughs> what is that? But I don't care because I'm so used to standing at this point while I work, but sitting actually feels uncomfortable. So standing desk has been huge. And then last year um, I purchased a uh, treadmill that slides underneath oh, yes. the desk. And so you all see me whenever I'm on Zoom calls. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm moving and I'm going so slow, really. I mean, usually I have it set at 1.4, 1.5 so that I don't fall off the thing. Yeah. Um, but the miles that I, I gain every day, I don't even track it, but I mean, I'm walking for hours every day. So it just accumulates. So that has been a major thing that has helped just keep me active while I still have to do my job. Mm -hmm. And there are very, uh, a broad range of options. You can get, you know, a super expensive under the desk, or you can get, there are things that are around $100 where it's literally like a belt on a wheel, but really that's, that's all you need. So that was an investment worth it for sure. Um, other things that I have definitely done, um, Sundays. Sundays are meal prep days in our house. Um, we cook a lot, we get the music going, we, you know, when we were working outside of our homes before this, um, we would just pack five lunches, five breakfasts, you know, and, and I find that if on the days or the weeks rather when I didn't have that Sunday prep time and I'm not set up for the week then I'm much more likely to just grab something on the go that's one more expensive and two not as nutritionally satisfying um, I'm much more uh, apt to probably go longer in between meals and then my sugar levels drop and so just having a little bit of prep time to have food at the ready to grab has been huge and when we don't do it we feel it and when we do do it it makes a major positive difference yeah agreed i've i've done that similarly too i mean the standing desk i don't have the treadmill um but a lot of times i'm combination in the computer and writing on the side i still do a lot of things longhand uh, yeah. but the sunday meal prep that's something that i picked up as a kid from my parents and i just continued to do on my own because like you if i have that in place already there's a little less anxiety on Monday, there's a little less frustration and a lot less um, that angry feeling. That's yes. You know, you yes. don't, you know, I'm not like stuffing a bag of raw carrots into my belly as I'm trying to make something and go, why am I not feel so good? I just yes. found some raw half chewed food because I was so hungry and didn't take that extra time. 
Yeah, and I want to add one more thing. So my husband, I mean, he he is a food lover through and through. His family always, you know, has these wonderful like celebratory dinners and meals. They live on a lake in Maine and like, oh, it's so homey and wonderful. And so um, he has been doing Noom and um, and it has helped him to think about food psychology. And one of the major things that he and I have talked about, because we do link food to celebration and it does make us feel so good, but how to have food as celebratory without it feeling excessive. And so even just something as simple as this little change, when we um, we typically, we reserve going out to eat for a Friday and or Saturday night, like those are our two um, treats. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, we used to order like some kind of app and even if it would be I don't know something relatively healthy where we would like order an app and then order a meal and whatever and so now he always orders a salad for us to split instead of an app and you end up filling up on the greens so that by the time your meal comes you're not that ravenous or you haven't filled up on like a million tortilla chips which are my like I could just <laughs> if, if I go to a Mexican food restaurant, I'm in I'm in the danger zone. I love it, but just that simple mind switch of like, okay, rather than ordering an app, we're now gonna split a big salad and we're gonna fill up on unhealthy things before the meal comes. That's a great tip, actually. I mean, I one of the things I do when I go out because I love a good burger and fries, mm-hmm. and I make sure I limit myself to no more than once a month. Uh, mm-hmm. But I will. In certain times, because sometimes with work, I, you know, if I'm traveling, I know my healthiest option at wherever will be a burger. So instead right. of fries, I'll get a salad, and people will be like, "That looks so healthy." And I'm like, "You know what? It really is." Yeah. So that's a great tip to add the salad instead of an extra app. Yeah, and and if it's on your plate, you're more likely to eat it. So it's often something as simple as saying when the when the server says, "Would you like?" blank whatever I often just say no thank you or I ask for the replacement of veggie or fruit instead of whatever it is because if it's on the plate more likely to eat it and then I have to do the whole resist the temptation and I don't like I've come very far in terms of um I don't like it to feel too restrictive. So I don't constantly want to feel like I'm depriving myself, but if it's not there, I'm not thinking about it. So that's a good point. True, out of sight, out of mind. So one last question I'd like to ask you is, what are, what's something new that you've done or one way that you've up leveled, you know, gone up a level in your commitment to health or um, the way that you go about keeping health and fitness as part of your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Realizing how important meditation is uh, as a an opposite force to all of the physical things that I'm doing. So realizing that it's just as important as the walk that we go for with our dogs and our son, you know, that the meditation time is really key. Uh, And making really small, realistic goals for that. So I don't say, okay, I'm gonna meditate every day for an hour and then I give up day one, right? So um, a couple of years ago, I started implementing regular meditation into my schedule and it made such a big difference because I'm the type of person where my 
uh, I, I get adrenal fatigue. I'm, I am so energetic sometimes that I'm almost overly, my nervous system is too ramped up. And so I need the opposite. Um, so I love Sarah Blondin. I know that Kathy, has, Kathy Heller has mentioned her, but she is my go-to meditator. Um, she has free her podcast is called Live Awake. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I love her meditations and it's just 10 minutes of my time. I light, I have um, like a sage thing, a stick. I light it, I sit down in a sunny spot, 10 minutes, I listen, I breathe, and then I do a little bit of journaling. Um, and usually like that whole thing I can do Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And then on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when I'm at the university teaching typically, often my meditation just looks like sitting for two minutes and taking big belly breaths. <laughs> and it's helpful. But you know, it's you're making it work. You're not quitting. You're just doing it at a different level because you're limited because of your surroundings and yeah and I do it with my students too my Wednesday afternoon creative writing class we start it with meditation mostly because I need it (laughs) by that point at 245 when I've already taught four classes but they have said on their evaluations that that's their favorite part of the class because it's the only time they haven't been moving in front of a screen talking to someone all day yeah that's awesome. I mean, it sounds like you're definitely in the right profession for you. <laughs> right line of work is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, I love what I do. You know, you figure writing course, I definitely wouldn't picture myself going in there and meditating, but it kind of right. makes sense now if you think about it. Yeah. So yeah, that's kudos to you for that because the world <laughs> needs more meditation, definitely. Yeah, Natalie Goldberg is the queen of that for people who really want to see like the blend of meditation and writing. She studied Zen for so many years and incorporates writing and journaling or uh, meditating and journaling into her writing practice. So I I took a retreat with her and it was life changing. It sounds awesome. It sounds like somebody that's at the top level like Kathy Heller and a lot. So I'll make sure I put them in the show notes. Yeah. So Nadine, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Thank Where you. Where can people find you outside of this podcast episode? Sure, yeah. So I am everything, Nadine Kenny Johnstone on Instagram, my website, um, and they can find me there for coaching, for retreats, uh, live Instagram stuff. I, um, I definitely use Instagram a little bit more than Facebook, so Instagram is probably the place. Nice. All right. Thank you, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Nadine. Nadine, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.